0: Cats at Night. Now, here's
1: John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. And there's so many things happening in the world and uh, in the studio with us. Uh, We have a a common sense Democrat, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Republican, Ed Cox, and uh, Lydia Serrani. Just a, a common commers- rusK- Lock-
2: That's it's it. I'm an independent. Look at this. President Biden to visit El Paso in his first trip to the border. Where has he been now for two years? Can somebody explain that to me? In Delaware. He's been in Delaware. And then we've got on our, no, our okay. other screen. Look, look we got he, the House taking the 10th speaker vote. And well, we were
1: supposed to have Cat Cameron on from the f- b- Florida House, and she just got called into a. They're going to take another vote or something. Another a 10th vote. So uh, we're going we have to zig and zag, and somebody that's, else is gonna be our first. That's quote. why
2: this she is a, a live show.
3: Speech on the floor. Absolutely. Did she, say it? she said that the Democrats are <laughs> sneaking adult beverages into the and we're drinking in the house. She said they want us divided popcorn and blankets. They,
2: they brought in
1: popcorn too at her. Popcorn too. And and yeah. They're celebrating they, the watching right. us.
2: They're
4: watching the circus.
2: They're watching us divide watching ourselves ho- for no reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Groundhog Day. How embarrassing. Yeah. So anyway,
3: the Democrats wanted it stricken from the rules, right? That they were had were drinking booze. Well guess what? They're there right. are no rules. You need a well, speaker I before understand. you have rules. Melissa so stricken
1: we're going to call Melissa uh, DeRosa De right now because there's a lot of problems up in the state. And, and Ed Cox, why don't you uh, begin uh, with what, what's going on upstate? Oh, what's so going we, on? We're going to talk about state problems. We're going to talk about was- Washington problems. we got problems all over. You uh, bet. Ed Cox, tell us what do you <laughs> think the problems are, and then I understand Melissa's going to be coming in. It on. was the
3: opening session at, of the legislature. And uh the Democrats are objecting to their governors, a Democrat governor's selection to be chief judge of the court. And they say that they want to have a more progressive court because the Republicans have put their people on the Supreme Court, so they want to have a court of appeals here mm-hmm. in the New York State that's to their liking.
4: Yeah, so- you know, the, the problem is they're not giving Judge Lewis Lassau- South The nominee for chief judge, who's a presiding justice, the appellate division, second department. They're not giving him a fair hearing. So they're they're packing that judiciary committee with hostile people who have already announced that they were against him anyway. So why go through the trouble of hearing? So. Why don't we
2: bring in uh, Melissa Derosa? She's on the line with us right now. Former, uh, I, I, I want to say, I know they use the word secretary, but I want to say, what, what else? Chief of staff, chief of the staff, right hand man, top dog, Melissa Derosa. Welcome back to Cats at Night.
5: Great to be back, guys. How you doing?
4: Good. Well, tell, tell, you tell us how we're doing. Yeah, we were just – Melissa, it's Richard Weinberg. We were just talking about what's going on with the nomination for chief judge, and I just mentioned that they're packing the Judiciary Committee with people who already announced that they're against him. So what kind of fair process is that?
5: Yep, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, it's fascinating to watch because, again, I think there's a larger story here about what we can expect from the legislature and the governor this year. This is really – The Democrats in the legislature, who retained a supermajority in both houses, flexing their muscles, they had said, the Democrats in the Senate had said that there were three people on the list that did not meet their litmus test for who they wanted. And Kathy Hochul, the new governor, selected one of those three, making what I think she thought was going to be a historic Latino choice first Latino to serve as the chief judge of the Court of Appeals. And the Democrats are saying, you know, as loudly as they can that it's not going to happen. And so, you know, it's funny because it's like, where does this end? It does not seem like there is sort of like when you're watching Washington right now with Kevin McCarthy and you're like, what is the strategy? There is no strategy. Watching Kathy Hochul with Hector LaSalle, there is no strategy. Well, let's
3: look at uh, Hector LaSalle. He is a presiding justice of the second department, one of the busiest departments in the United States 5,000 decisions, they pick out two decisions from this very distinguished uh, Latino jurist. And those two decisions, they say one's anti-union, the other's anti-abortion. Well, guess what? You they know. have they have super majorities in both House letters, they have the governor. They could have changed those decisions in one day if they wanted to, did they? And the fact is, you read those cases, they don't say what the opposition to LaSalle says they say. it that so, well, you know what? what say you?
5: Well, I was going to say to that point the point of a hearing is where members would have the opportunity in a public forum to raise questions about these decisions and ask pointed questions about the reasoning behind the decisions. And what the Democrats in the Senate have said loud and clear is we're not doing that. We don't care. We don't want to hear your rationale. We're not open to listening to maybe we're not all lawyers. Potentially, he's going to tell us that there's some reason. I mean, I read the cases, and I don't read them the same way that the Democrats in the legislature do. I know Judge Weinberg's on the line right now. I'd be curious to hear what he thinks. But they're not even open to the possibility that they will listen to the rationale. And whether it was that he followed the law, potentially there's a quirk in the law that the legislature could cure The reality is the far left does not want Hector LaSalle because he's a former prosecutor. And they said early on that they wanted a public defender, that they felt like the court was too conservative and they see prosecutors as being conservative. So I almost feel like it was like, you know, they went in search of a reason and they backed into these cases. And when they say we're not even open to listening or hearing him out or letting the public hear him out, they're saying they don't really care. And so, you know, I think that we're now just there playing chicken with one another. Kathy Hochul has signaled she's not willing to give up. She would rather he fails in committee or on the floor than to pull him back. And with every passing day, the Senate Democrats are saying very, communicating very loudly that this is not going to happen.
4: So, Melissa, you, let me ask you a procedural question based on your expertise in, in the legislature on yes. it. So let's assume that he's voted down in committee. Yep. Does a petition discharge still work to get it on the floor, or does that kill it entirely?
5: You know, I don't. I have, I and I know that um, Governor Patterson had raised this prior on another call. I am not familiar with how that would work, and I'm not sure that given that the Senate Dems have as many members that they do, that there would be that you would have. The, I, I just can't fathom that they could overrule the Judiciary Committee and still get it to the floor. Yeah, I could it, be wrong, but that never yeah. happened in my time in government. But it would be
4: interesting because then you get the, every one of the members of the Senate on the record, and they're ducking yep. it. In other words, they're letting yep. the dirty work be done by Holman, who's a chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and the staff And, and everybody deck. else is innocent. That's right. But they're, you know exactly. what I want to know,
1: Judge? You know what I want to know? Where are all the Latinos? Why mm. don't you stand up and yell? Uh,
3: Freddy Ferrer well, finally you know came out, John. He's made it. Well, cool. Freddie,
1: call in. We're waiting for you. Call on in. And
4: what about the well, And what know, about the bar it. associations?
3: Bar associations are coming out. Yep. And the editorial this boards. This is, you know, is outrageous. It's, it's, Melissa, what do, what do you
6: say?
5: Well, I was going to say, there's a number of Latinos that are, you know, members of the Democratic Socialists Association who are coming out and saying, do, don't do play identity politics with this. This isn't about being Latino. We're not going to let that argument fly and just do this because he's Latino which is sort of comical because I think the far left leans on identity politics (laughs) more than anyone in America. So it's like, oh, this one time we're not going to play identity politics. But so, to your point, John, the, the Latinos are not fully organized behind him. And if anything, the ones that you're seeing that are sort of being louder, that are currently in power, put Freddie Ferrer aside. He hasn't been in office since he was Bronx Borough president. You know, we all know who he is on this call, but I'm not sure people currently in office, you know, think of him as a, as a leader in the Latino community anymore. Who do you the consider wonder- the major leader in the
1: com- yes. Melissa, who do you consider the major leader in the Latino community?
5: You know, I look at people like Nydia Velasquez, who I think is very distinguished and holds a senior position within the congressional delegation, and her name was on a press release, but she's been very silent. I haven't seen them. Yes, they're scared of out. the left. Um, sorry?
1: Uh, Melissa. They're scared of the extreme
4: left.
5: Instead of the extreme, I don't think no, they're of scared of it. Extreme left. Oh, they're scared. Exactly. That's exactly right. So maybe they'll even put their name on a press release, but they're not going to go out and die on the hill for this.
3: So the chairman of the Democratic Party, Jay Jacobs, has actually called out the uh, the Democrat socialists who are against this, et cetera, saying they do not represent the full party. What do you think of that?
5: I mean, they absolutely don't. I mean, look, in my experience, the DSA couldn't win citywide today. They, you know, can win these little assembly races and these little state senate races and these little city council races in pockets of the city that are very, very far to the left, but they couldn't win citywide. Actually, let alone they, they
3: citywide. couldn't. They did not even – they couldn't even even win the Democratic nomination. They came in third, didn't they?
5: That's exactly right. And so to cower to them, you know, is – <laughs> look, I, I keep going back to this with reporters that I'm talking to. Look what's happening right now in Washington with Kevin McCarthy when the crazies in the party take the party hostage. And if this is a slippery slope. And people need to be paying attention in New York, because if you empower the vocal minority fringe in a party, it can happen on the other side, too. And so I think that this is a little bit of like a warning shot and people need to open their eyes. But, you know, unfortunately, and I love Jay Jacobs, he's a friend. I don't know that he's the right messenger on this. He gets the left really riled up. They had all been calling for him to resign. And so I go back to what I said at the start of this conversation, which is, Po appears to have no strategy, and so Hector LaSalle is sort of hanging out there. the court's you know future is in the balance, and I just don 't see the political strategy to land the plane
3: so it's, is uh, he hanging out there if in fact you're good at county heads, madam Secretary, you counted them last time uh, there were twenty one against, and you're talking sixty three senators. That's not even close to uh, getting a majority against, which would be 32. Where do you think it is now?
5: So the last time we spoke, I had it at 21. As of this morning, I count 23. So now, granted, I'm not checking in on the Republicans, and I'm not even sure Hopel has engaged the Republican conference. So I'm not sure where where that conference would go, if they would all be together, or if they would want to cut some deal. But from what I understand, there's 23 votes in the Democratic conference against.
3: Well, look, the, the the Republicans are talking. I suspect uh, that the never, that the Republicans will go, all twenty one of them, for LaSalle on the floor. So, where do you think it ends up if it got to the floor?
5: If it gets to the floor, you know, then I think that the tricky thing is going to be: does Labor go in and apply pressure to some more of the moderates? And that's going to be, you know, where Hochul has to flex her political muscle and go sit with the AFL-CIO and 32BJ and 1199 and CWA and cut a deal on something else that they want. But they've got it because at this point, the far left of the Democratic Party in the state Senate is not the majority. No. But once you start to get the moderates involved because labor applies pressure, that's when you're going to lose this thing. And so the question is, can they politically go in and cut the deals that are necessary to see this through, which would require doing some horse trading with labor? And at this point, it doesn't even look like they're trying. So, again, it's just it's, it's mind boggling for those of us who have done that job before that you would get to this point and and appear to be just flailing with every passing day.
4: And this is a real problem for the governor going forward. Because if She loses this fight. They're only emboldened, and she's really weakened.
5: A hundred percent. And she already gave away the pay raise for nothing, which, you know, was a maximum point Can of Can you figure
1: that out, Melissa? I mean, you're one smart person. You've been in Albany forever. Can you figure out why she would sign that pay raise without getting pay anything raise? getting anything back in return?
5: I really can't, John. I mean, I know that she's got this whole mantra where she's like, I do just things differently, I'm not going to govern like Andrew Cuomo. And it's like, look, nobody confuses you for Andrew Cuomo. Like you don't have to worry about that. Be effective. Go get something done. Use the different levers of power that are afforded to the governor and the state constitution. Flex your muscles. Sometimes that means having a difficult conversation. Sometimes that means using the leverage that you've got in front of you in order to get something else. And at this point, she's not doing that and it doesn't seem to be changing. So No, I I don't understand it. It's nice to be nice. It's better to be effective. And this governor has got to figure that out.
1: Melissa DeRosa, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your common sense. Thank you uh, for your uh, truthfulness. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon.
5: All right. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you. you.
1: Uh, Let's take a break. And uh, uh, the House is in session, so we're not going to have any congressperson calling in to tell us what the heck is going on.
2: And uh when we come back, uh who do we have? We're going we're to be talking about the Green New Deal. It's even worse than you think. I keep it right here. We'll be speaking with Mark Morano when we come right back. Right after the break.
3: It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: We got some breaking news before we go to our next guest. The 10th House Speaker vote, uh, underway. And it looks like McCarthy's poised to lose it once again. A 10th round. Again, McCarthy loses. So this is, this is an embarrassment. On the line for us right now, we're going to pivot and shift uh, our topics. We're going to be speaking with Mark Morano. He's the director and chief correspondent of ClimateDepot.com, a project of the committee for Constructive uh, Tomorrow. He's also the communications director at CFACT, a conservative think tank in Washington, D.C. He's also the author of Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. Uh, Welcome to Cats at Night.
4: Mr. Morano, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Happy to have you on the show I think your, your thesis, I think your thesis is is just wonderful because everybody's going along with this secular religion called the Green New Deal and climate change, and they're not looking at what the real costs are in terms of uh, the economy and in terms of the ability to be energy independent and jobs being lost. Would you tell us about your book and uh, what your concerns are?
0: Well, my book is about the Green New Deal, green fraud, why the Green New Deal is even worse than you think. And the reason it's worse than you think, by the way, is they've bypassed democracy to impose this green utopian vision. In other words, the Green New Deal was introduced in Congress but never scheduled for hearing, never voted on. They didn't need to because they decided to bypass democracy, go to executive order, make every cabinet agency a climate agency – And also they've done it through uh, funding of the federal government, through environmental and social governance. So the idea here behind the Green New Deal is we have to save the planet and and mandate solar and wind to replace fossil fuels. And we're going to have this wonderful world. It's going to be utopia. Problem is solar and wind produce virtually no energy compared to fossil fuels. And you can look at our U.S. total output. It's about 1% solar, 3% wind power totally produced. If you go back 100 years, fossil fuels powered the global economy 80 plus percent. If you go forward to the current day, fossil fuels power the economy 80 plus percent uh, run by fossil fuels. And so the the deal here is they want to mandate and force this solar and wind, which makes our grids unreliable, dries up the cost and does nothing. And I repeat that, does nothing to reduce emissions. And to even to the extent that Europe or the US could show a reduction, all we're doing is offshoring it to other countries by these solar wind mandates. Now, the U.S. has been leading the world in reducing emissions, but we've done it through technological advancements, through fracking natural gas, replacing coal burning.
3: So, so Mark, when you look at the other 20 percent, what portion of that is not fossil fuels? What portion of that is nuclear? What portion of that is hydropower, which we've had for years?
0: Now, what they'll try to say – now, there's a couple ways of looking at energy. There's total energy production, and then there's electrical energy generation. So, among electrical generation, which is what they're trying to do, electrify everything with our grid – uh, you know, they'll try to tell you that I think it's over 20%, 22% or so is renewable. That sounds really impressive until you just mentioned hydro, geothermal, uh, other forms of energy come in. But if you stick with just solar and wind, uh, it's under, I think, 12% or, uh, or 15% max total of the electrical grid. And the problem is one coal plant in Kentucky can produce many times more – I think it takes 84, 84 uh, solar workers to produce the same energy as one coal worker. In other words, you can add a little bit of solar, a little bit of wind, especially in areas where it may make sense, maybe in Texas or uh, or a couple other places offshore if there's enough wind. But of course, you're going to have the same issues you're going to have with you know species disruption, whales, uh, clearing forests, and all that for solar panels. But they just – it's not a dense form of energy. So when you're looking at the electric, nuclear is about 20%, 19% I think was the last thing I've seen. Nuclear is amazing because it hasn't – there hasn't been new nuclear plants, but they're able to keep getting more power out of the old existing plants, which still exist. And you'd think environmentalists would embrace nuclear, but they don't. And they do in Europe in many places. But essentially what they've done is they've increased – the cost of our electricity with solar and wind which only make us when you do solar and wind more reliable on china 90% of our solar panels come from china more reliable on rare earth mining for their other agenda including electric cars for the making of solar panels but also a lot of other also a lot of other electronics so what happens here is it's making us more dependent on other countries biden begging venezuela biden begging opec for more oil because he doesn't want to produce it to, to, he doesn't want to produce it domestically because it's a uh, it would violate the Green New Deal standards. So we end up offshoring our energy. We end up hurting Americans. We end up doing nothing for the climate because at the end of the day, the weather is not going to change because of anything we're doing with solar and wind. And that's where you get into the fantastical utopian claims. Somehow, you'll have, you'll have administration officials say with a straight face, you know, if we, if these hurricanes are bad. That's why we need solar and wind. As though putting up a solar panel on your roof is going to make hurricanes less severe. And on that on that point, this is important: floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires. There's either no trend or declining trend in terms of frequency and intensity on climate timescales. And particularly things like hurricanes, tornadoes. I mean, there's been dr- big drops. Uh, you know, the most active era for hurricanes was the 1940s. The most biggest tornadoes. Uh, We've had a big drop in F3 and larger tornadoes since the 1950s. So this has been an amazing thing to watch. It's a big, uh, essentially a big shuffle, uh, our entire energy system based on a climate premise that even if we face the climate catastrophe they claim, nothing they propose would even impact the temperature or the storms let, or even uh, global emissions of CO2 because they Mark, keep going up because all Mark, we're doing is relying on countries. Yeah. When, you, when
1: you have a chair, this is John Katsimatidis, and, and uh, I've been saying that all along. And I have a scientist on, on Sunday on my show at the Cats Roundtable, and uh, we talk about the, uh, that, and I believe, by the way, that we should take care of our climate, but we shouldn't lose jobs and we shouldn't panic. Over our climate, uh, you know, uh, the the Earth is four billion years old and is constantly adjusting itself. Whoever our creator was, God, the created the Earth, has created the Earth. And for four billion years, it has been adjusting itself. And the, the, the number one influence on the planet Earth is the sun. And we have zero control over the sun zero control mm-hmm. so all this stuff with fossil fuels how, how did the, the previous presidents say it it's a lot of crap okay not that we should not that we should pollute not that we should intentionally do things against the earth but the earth and and the purpose you know what the purpose of hurricanes are the purpose of hurricanes are if the climate is hotter than god Oh our Creator wanted it to be it cools it down to bring it down to the temperature uh, that is needed. The other thing that 's going to be interesting on a uh, uh, cats round table this weekend the the clock was slowing up. We lost like x amount of seconds over the last um, on earth 's rotation over the last uh, few years, and guess what? The Earth has reversed itself and it 's adjusting for that. The other big problem is that, uh, uh, the, uh, um, what it was, the North Pole, the magnetic North Pole is moving 500 feet per year. Hmm. So what does that mean? We really don't know yet, but I'm a pilot and runway one eight in certain, uh, uh, uh um, Airports is now runway one nine. Hmm. So there's things happening, but the the sun is controlling it. It's not really us. I, and I apologize for jumping in. This is your show. Your, this is your interview. Please keep going.
2: I just also oh, wanted oh, to I ask you, gonna... Mark Morano. No, 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 no oh, I'm, I'm, I just
1: came. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask keep you a going. Question. Oh, okay.
0: Go ahead, Mark. The Earth, the, the, our atmosphere is one of the most complex. Nonlinear systems known to man. And the idea that we can just look at it and say, oh, the CO2 is the control knob of the climate is laughable. In fact, in my chapter, I think it's chapter three of my book, I, the, I call it the science chapter. I have the foremost experts from uh, Will Happer from Princeton University, considered the expert on the greenhouse gas effect, literally talk about how geologically speaking, the earth is in a CO2 famine right now. In other words, Eighty percent, ninety percent, actually, of our of the history of the Earth geologically has been uh, uh, warmer than today, with lower levels of higher levels of CO two.
3: Is this a so Princeton professor saying? A Princeton professor saying
0: that? Doctor Will Happer, yes. Wow. And now retired. But we are now in the 10% coldest, geologically speaking, and we're also in the 10% lowest, carbon dioxide speaking. But there's many factors, ocean cycles, tilt to the Earth's axis, clouds, water vapor, met, many, all of these things interact, including, of course, as you mentioned, the sun. But the other thing you mentioned is important to note. Is The United States is among the leaders for clean air in the world, and this is according to the World Health Organization. We've also, since the first Earth Day when our environmental awareness was raised, have radically cleaned up our air, water, rivers, and improved environment across the board, including endangered species, by the way, As we now know how to protect species. Uh, at, at the same time we did all that, we did it with massive economic growth, massive population expansion. So the idea that we are, like, destroying the earth, at least the United States, is not even close to being true. We are the model for the world. Even the World Health Organization recognizes our environmental gains.
2: Thank you so much, Mark Morano, again of ClimateDepot.com. We look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, man. Thank
1: you so much,
2: Mom. Coming up, we have a report from Lou Dobbs on how the markets are doing, and then we'll be speaking with Betsy McCoy, Dr. Siegel. Keep it right here, Cats at Night.
3: This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Matidis Cats at Night show in studio. We have, of course, John Matidis, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, and myself, Lydia, on the line. We have New York City Councilman Robert Holden of Queens. And also Glendale, Mass Path, Middle Village, Ridgewood, Woodhaven, Woodside, you know, so it goes on. Welcome back to Cats and Night, Councilman Robert Holden.
7: Hi, Lydia. Hi, glad to be back. Uh,
1: Councilman, let me ask you a silly question. <laughs> is, is the city council as bad as the state senate and state assembly?
7: Uh, I'd say worse. Oh, my <laughs> God. My perspective on it, but. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Now, and, you're, uh, you're
1: a common-sense Democrat, and, you know, I commend you for not having the fear of the extreme left, because I believe extreme left or extreme right, they're both dangers to our country. How do you feel?
7: I'm exactly the same. Uh, you know, again, I, I believe, uh, you know, be moderate. I, we, have, we have a history lesson how to get New York City back. Uh, from the uh, like the late 80s and, and 90s and, of course, the Rudy Giuliani era. We, we have a blueprint, so let's use it. And I think that the mayor, the mayor now has figured it out. I think Mayor Adams knows that he has to do that. So we're, we're headed, I think the city knows, I think the worst is over. I was with
1: Mayor Adams last night, and uh, he reiterated it, uh, that he does believe in, in making our city safer.
7: Yeah, yeah, and that's good. But you know, again, he's got the migrant problem that's being forced down our throats now from this administration. Well, Councilman, it's,
4: it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. I'm I'm it's very awesome. concerned about the migrant problem because I like Mayor Adams. I know him from when he was borough president. I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he's the right man at the right time as as mayor. But the problem is, he's asking for more money. He's asking for more federal resources. Most respectfully to the mayor, that's not the answer. The answer is to seal the border. Because if you have 30,000 coming this week, then you'll yeah, have 30,000 next him. month. It's not up to him. So yeah, you're, you're saying president. that he should yell about it. All right. I think, yeah. I think the mayor, the Democratic mayors are the ones who are facing the problems. And now you have a Democratic governor of Colorado shipping people in, into New York. Somebody's got to stop this migrant flow. This illegal migrant flow. What say you?
7: Yeah, and again, uh, we have thirty-six thousand migrants since the spring that are in our system. Twenty-four thousand are currently in the care of New York City. That means the taxpayers paying, and you know the city has opened up. Listen to this: sixty-eight emergency shelters and four of these humanitarian emergency response and relief centers. They're called HERCs. That's seventy-two locations. And that's gonna cost a billion dollars when the smoke clears. And you know what the, the Biden administration has given us? Less than eight million. So that's not uh that's well, not how do you
4: say it. it in Brooklyn? Bupkis. So so but you yeah, have a problem like crap. <laughs> but, you, but you also have a problem of you have to put the kids in schools, you have to give them medical care, you have to give them shelter, you have to give them uh food.
7: I mean how do you yeah. do this? And some of my colleagues want to give more than that. They want to give free metro cards, uh, free attorneys, you know, legal uh, um, representation, um, free cell phones, and of course, you like you mentioned, education, ed- educating their kids. So this is, you know, it is a bad situation, and it's being thrust on the city and, and many cities around the country. But there's some good news, folks. Uh, the may, you know, I don't know if you heard the Biden announce uh, announcement today was that they're finally going to take some action to stem the migrant crisis at the southern border. That's what he says. Uh, He's announced that he's going to fast-track deportations. That's good news. And he's going to use their parole authority, the federal government's parole authority, to expel those who they don't believe belong in the the U.S. And to qualify for the program, this parole program, um, you have to have a sponsor, a U.S. sponsor, which is – that's – they're finally coming to their senses. So, you have to have somebody to sponsor you and take care of you. You can't, you know, rely on the government to take care of you. And that's a good. That's a big change. Now, will the Biden administration do what they say they're going to do? Let's see.
4: Well, the the president of the United States doesn't have to rely on the so-called Title 42 on the public health. The president of the United States, under federal law, has a right to. Ch- make changes with respect to immigration by executive order to stop the flow, to protect it based on national security and national sovereignty. He already has that power. All he has to do is exercise it.
7: Yeah, and, but he, they're starting to do it. He announced it at least. Again, what, you know, the president says sometimes is not what he does, and we, we know that. Um, and as a sovereign nation, we should manage, uh, you know, the asylum and immigration based on our needs, our needs, not their needs, our needs. For instance, if we have a shortage of engineers, uh, veterinarians, or nurses, that's who we should bring in. That's what many other countries do. We don't. Why don't we
3: have those kinds of laws? I mean, other countries, Canada has an excellent set We actually had some that were pending under W. Uh, right. Well-crafted. I think there's a Senator Obama who killed it. Uh, right. So it didn't happen.
7: Uh, but wh- wh- why, why don't we have those laws? That's because Congress hasn't acted and they have to they have to really kind of put together uh, a common sense immigration reform package. And that's what they should be working on instead of all these votes now. Uh, but that's what we desperately need at the southern border, especially. But also they're coming in through Florida. You know, there's uh, everyday votes are coming in from Cuba now. So this is getting to be a you know situation where. We can't handle it. Certainly New York City can't handle it financially. We're going to go bankrupt. That's what What's the, mayor the other said. word for it?
1: It's become a free-for-all.
7: It's a free-for-all. You know,
1: we had Vito Fasella on, the borough president of uh, uh, of Staten Island, and he was mad as heck because he says our veterans are are, are starving to death, and not only our veterans, our, uh, our soldiers, because there's not enough money to pay their rent, buy their food, uh, our armed forces. And we're giving all this money to non-citizens. We're giving this money to to foreigners, and we're breaking we're breaking got, the
4: law coming into our country. Well,
1: right, screwed to breaking and, the law. I mean, well, we're we're giving them everything. We're we're putting them up in seven hundred dollar a day rooms, and and our and our armed forces are suffering.
7: And again, it's, unless the the uh, uh, president does what he says he's going to do, and does, you know, really start to reform um, the migrant situation and demand that they have sponsors. If you don't have a sponsor, you're not allowed in. That's it. You but, know, that means you have to have somebody that will put you up. But, but, uh, but, uh, uh Councilman, uh, haven't you
3: listened to Secretary Mayorkas, <laughs> the Secretary of Homeland Security? He says the
7: border is secure. No, nah, well, he well, he's delusional.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for fun. coming on, uh, Thank you for coming on. Keep and, us posted on uh, what's going on at the council, please. Well, well, unbelievable. Let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, we will have some more breaking news for you.
3: Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: Welcome back to the John Matitis Cats Katz at Night show. In studio, John Katzmatidis, Judge Weinberg, Ed Cox, and myself, Lydia. On the line, we've had Betsy McCoy. She's a former lieutenant governor of New York. She's also a great writer. She writes for the New York Post. Her latest uh, column, China's COVID lies could prove deadly for America. Betsy McCoy, I love this line you wrote. The only thing not going viral in China is the truth. Tell us more what's going on.
6: That's right. These China lies, Lydia, are very dangerous to Americans. There is real carnage going on in China. We have audio and video of corpses piled up in body bags, Funeral homes, the parking lots are filled, hospitals overwhelmed with patients dying with a virus. But we don't know the details because China will not share any of the laboratory data on what this virus is. Is it the Omicron variant that we're very used to dealing with or some new variant of COVID that we don't have drugs for or vaccines for? We need the truth. But instead... China is – here's their official statements – one death on December 30th, one death nationwide, of a nation of 1.4 billion people. They claim only one person died. It's a big lie, and for that reason, the whole world is in peril. We'd like to help China, but we need information to protect citizens right here in America as well.
3: So, Betsy, Betsy President Xi has opened his borders, his citizens can leave and come oh, to the yeah. United States. Uh, Are we going to suffer the same as as they are from their variant in China?
6: the, the, The travel barriers have been lifted, but even before they were lifted, there were several dozen flights between American cities and China every week. So there was never a complete block of travel. Now, last week on December 28th, two planes from China landed in Milan. Over half the passengers on these two flights were already sick with COVID, some variation of COVID. They were sick when they got off the plane. So Italy stopped the flights right away and said, in order to come to Italy, you must have a negative COVID test before you get on the plane. The United States, what did they do? The CDC said, yes, we're going to do the same thing, but we're not going to put it in place until January 5th. So all this time december 29th 30th 31st in the first four days of january people could still come in from china and they weren't being tested i don't know why the cdc decided the convenience of the airlines was more important than saving the lives of americans
2: and it's lunar new year so they are traveling up a storm and this just simply reminds me again of what we saw in february of 2020 and march of 2020 what do you think betsy mccoy have we well, not learned no, our lesson
6: goodness airline bookings are up 300% and the fact is we need to demand from China the truth that we're all part of the same human race we need to know what disease is killing so many people in china at this point we know that between 50 and 70% of all the people in beijing are sick 50 to 70%
3: Wow.
2: In Shanghai, it's 70%, Dr. Yeah. Nicolau said.
3: Betsy, on another topic, 20 years ago, you told me about these beast bugs that Super were bugs. killers. Super bugs. So you go into a hospital and you don't come out. You go in fine with a little something or other, and you get one of these bugs, and uh, that's that's it. Well, uh, that's
6: right. And if you it, are going are to they hospital, still hospital, anybody listening who's going into the hospital, please come to the website, hospitalinfection.com dot org hospital infection that thing you don't want to get dot org because our organization reduce infection deaths will show you the steps you can take to reduce your risk this is one of the largest killers in america reduce your risk of getting MRSA c diff vre candida oris these nasty bugs that live primarily or only in hospitals
3: so what have the hospitals done about them i mean This can be taken care of if you do things right.
6: Unfortunately, not enough. And, in fact, these superbugs are soaring now. They're worse than they were five years ago, in part because of COVID. The hospitals were more crowded and staff were in short supply. But also they just dropped a lot of the protocols that they need to rigorously observe to protect patients. We really want to help you. So come to hospitalinfection.org if you're planning on going into the hospital, because we can really reduce your risk of getting one of those superbugs.
3: So I'm going to a hospital. Let's say I am. What do I do to protect myself?
6: Uh, Well, first of all, if you're going to have surgery, bathe with a special soap called chlorhexidine. It's in the drugstore for three days before surgery. It will remove the dangerous bugs on your own skin that could climb into your surgical incision and give you a nasty infection. Don't shave. Don't shave, that. Don't shave your face or anywhere else on your body because shaving creates nicks in your skin that are like welcome mats for the germs to enter. There are two tips right there.
2: Okay, I appreciate that. No shaving, I'm, guys, or ladies. No shaving. It. No shaving.
6: That's right. That's right. But come to us. Go hairy. We can, we can really help you. Here's, a, here's one of the most shocking facts. The number one predictor of who gets a hospital infection, it's not your age. It's not even the illness that brought you into the hospital. The number one predictor of who gets sick is what room they're put in. If they're put into a hospital room or a hospital bed where a previous occupant had an infection, they're going to get it because the cleaning is so inadequate in hospitals that the previous patient was sent home, but their ger- germs weren't sent home. They're right there on the bed rail, on the call button, on the over-the-bed table. That's very true. Yeah. that's yes.
1: very true you know uh I, I was in the hospital a couple of weeks uh, a couple of years ago for about a, a week or ten days and uh i had caught they gave me a, an infection
2: and my father caught covid they gave me an into, infection when he went into the hospital and uh i remember calling into the station and
1: getting on 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 the on the radio and saying well i could have spent two hundred thousand dollars uh, on a on a yacht in the Greek islands, but I spent $200,000 in the hospital. Trying that's to right,
6: because these infections know. are very costly, but the thing that's really a problem is that they can cost you your life. So we're pushing very hard for hospitals to clean more effectively, but in the meantime, if you're going to visit a friend in the hospital or a loved one, forget bringing flowers or candy. Bring Thank bring you, a Betsy, we're running baseball.
1: out of time. we got to go. Thank okay. you so much. We love you. Happy New- and Happy New Year. We'll have Thank you, you for the great Happy report. Happy New Year.
0: Breaking News, WABC.
1: Uh, with us today is Eric Schuffler. Uh, he's the uh, president and uh, uh, partner in the uh, Staten Island Fairy Hawks, and he's got some breaking news. Tell us,
7: Eric. Hey, John. How are you? Good. I'm here right outside the stadium, right with our gorgeous view of lower Manhattan. Tomorrow... 9.25 on WABC, on Sid Show. We are breaking huge news. We are bringing a world champion, world famous New York Yankee to head up the You always To be the new manager
1: of the Ferry Hawk.
7: Is that correct? The new manager. Uh, we are the best minor league team in New York, right behind the Yankees and the Mets, the third best baseball team in the city. And we're bringing a world champion, very well-known Yankee to be our manager. Well, we're going announce it on WABC tomorrow.
1: I look forward to it. I'll be listening to Sid Rosenberg, and and thank you, Eric Scheffler. and uh, and uh, that's a magnificent stadium uh, we have there. And uh, uh, God bless you. And uh, I we're gonna we're we're gonna win the World Series of the Atlantic League. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, we
7: are. God bless this country. Bye, John. Hey, everyone.
2: And uh, we're still waiting to hear from uh Dr. Siegel, but he is—he does want to talk to us about um, Demar. You know the the young man, the 24-year-old football player that got hit in the chest. There is some news on him. So NFL safety Demar Hamlin—he is now awake and breathing. He's been able to communicate by writing with pen and paper, and he asks who won the game between the Bills and the Bengals, where he had a cardiac arrest right there on the field That's after. Wonderful. That's isn't wonderful. Isn't that incredible? News. It's wonderful. News. God's work. Because.
4: One of the problems everybody was concerned about is brain damage. brain damage and how long before they resuscitated him.
2: That scene was so horrific. I th- it felt like it went on forever. And the way he, he got up and then the way he went back down, and it was just like a freak thing that that ends up happening. But it's the power of prayer and the power of great doctors because they, they were sure giving him some great CPR, those chest compressions. They brought out the defibrillator. They said his heart stopped twice. So we're just waiting to hear from uh, Dr. Siegel more about this case Uh, he had, he's not back on yet. So I guess we can pivot while we wait. Oh, we got, there we go. Dr. Siegel. We were just
1: like that. We're still waiting for, uh, Congress people.
2: Damar Hamlin. Uh, we were just talking about the latest with him that he's awake and breathing. Thank God. It doesn't look like he's suffering any neurological damage. Tell us exactly what happened. I heard it's called cardiomyotosis or something like that.
8: (laughs) No, it's, it's called commotio. Commotio.
6: There you go. Commotio. What was it? Close
8: enough. Well, come on, Lydia. I love you anyway, but yeah, you have to get the terms right here. But the, I'm kidding. Commotio cortis is very rare, and what happens is it's when a blow to the heart or the <laughs> chest so occurs at exactly the right time of the cardiac cycle. It doesn't have to be a severe blow. It's very rare, and it's usually people younger than him, but it might be. Uh, a way of highlighting that shoulder pads are too hard and helmets are too hard in the NFL and in football in general. We still don't know if that's what happened because we haven't heard anything about what his heart looks like on an echo, ruling out underlying heart problems. But the NFL does a lot to look at that kind of thing, so it would be really surprising if he had a thickened heart or other issues that that they didn't know about. But we're waiting to hear on that. But you know what's remarkable today? That he not only woke up, not only was he squeezing people's hands, but he actually sent a note reportedly to the doctor because he's not talking yet because he's on a ventilator for precautions. He sent them a note that said, who won the game? Who won the game? <laughs> yeah, and the guy great. wrote, the doctor wrote back and said, you won the game of life. Absolutely. And then the NFL turned around and canceled the game, which they better do. Than not if this man's not on the field.
2: Had had it not been for the personnel there on the field acting so quickly, I mean, you saw them feverishly working on him. Dr. Siegel, we would definitely have some sort of different outcome here, right?
8: Yeah, not only is there a highly trained staff on, a, on a, an NFL team like the Bills staff went amazing, but they had four emergency room physicians there uh... from from you know from cincinnati from the university of cincinnati medical center and they always make sure that they have er docs in attendance and this is a a a level one trauma center and they jump right into it and the key here what i was worried about and i i must say i'm not completely out of not worried you know i want to hear more him recover more but i was worried about his brain i was worried about oxygen was enough oxygen being delivered to his brain if you do CPR perfectly and you bring him back with a defibrillator, then there's every reason to hope that would be the case and certainly him remembering even being in that game is just extraordinary.
2: I was reading a report that they're saying his lungs have to heal, explain what what does
8: that mean? Well, we don't know the answer to that either, so I'll just give out some possibilities. He could have had some damage to his lungs during the resuscitation, either a lung went down and they have to put a chest tube in and it goes up, or blood in the lungs. Those things can happen, but they can be drained easily. Or he might have developed some fluid on the lung from the, from the CPR process or the cardiac arrest. That, those answers aren't in yet, but but for sure, with the oxygen requirements going way down, he's definitely going in the right direction, and they're getting the lungs back where they need to be and the heart.
2: Would you say this is a remarkable recovery,
1: considering? I got a quick question before oh. we go off because we got less than yep. forty five seconds. Uh, I understand. I saw a report the other day. I thought Doctor Michalow sent it to me uh, that uh, the amount of athletes, football players, that die on the uh, uh, on the football court between 21 and 22. Do you know,
8: Have you seen that at all? It seems to be the case. If it is, I'd be worried that, that COVID would be the cause of it because of COVID myocarditis being much more severe, not the vaccine. And it, I'd be worried about COVID.
1: Uh, understood. We'll talk about that more. Thank you so much, Dr. Right. Siegel, and thank you for everything you do, keeping our, our, our audience informed. God bless you, and Happy New Year. And uh, thank you, uh, Judge Weinberg. Thank you, uh, Ed Cox, Lydia Soranai, John Katsimatidis here. And what do we stand for? Truth, justice, and the American way. God bless America. We need God's blessing. Thank you.
3: It's Cats
6: at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.